0: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 72, and we are recording on March 14th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. We were supposed to get like a snow apocalypse or something. I mean, I'm I not forget.
1: sad that it's not the actual apocalypse. Do you know what I yeah. just realized is that it's pie day and I did yeah. not stock up on pie cuz I was dummy. I had this,
0: a similar realization this morning um and it's too gross outside. Yeah, there's you. no way. <laughs> like wh- so. I don't
1: even know that anywhere that sells pie would be open. What a sad state of affairs. We are piless on pie day. Yeah. Womp, womp.
0: <laughs> I might be able to, like, rustle up some sugar cookies or something. Yeah.
1: I mean, I got snacks. Uh, let's not, let's, snacks let's for be days. real. <laughs> I have literally snacks for days.
0: <laughs> you live right. I try. I try. So if you are new to this show, like I said, this is a uh, podcast for personalized reading recommendations. So you send us your reading recommendation requests and we answer them on the air. So you can email them to us at getbooked or you can drop them in the uh, form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. Um, They can be for you. If you've read a book that you loved and you want to read something similar or you read a book that you hated and you want to read something that's the opposite of that, either of those are fine. Uh, You need something for your book club or a gift, it doesn't matter. You can send any and all of those to us. If they're time sensitive, uh, please mention that in the subject line of the email or in the first line of the question when you put it in the form so that we can get to it in time. If we don't answer it in the air or we can't get your question uh, in time, then we will probably email you back with an answer. Or if we've already answered it a couple of times on the show, then we will um, send you a link to the relevant episodes. Okay, so we're going to read our first question, do our first sponsor, and go, go, Gadget, book time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) All right, Uh, our first question is from Brooke. Who says, I just finished reading Eligible by Curtis Sittenfeld, my first modern retelling of a classic tale. I enjoyed Eligible's light and fun plot and quick pace and thought it was a fun bonus to compare it to Pride and Prejudice along the way. Can you recommend some other modern updates or retellings of classics? I'm open to more Austen or other classics.
0: Yes, we can! Yes, we can! (laughs) But
1: first, our Mm -hmm.
0: first sponsor. So what if you could look inside your favorite children's and YA authors' heads and see what books led them to become who they are today? Well, now you can, jazz hands. Our first sponsor (laughs) is The Book That Made Me, which is coming out from Candlewick Press, which is a really, really great, like, I legitimately really enjoy this up publisher, they're a small independent publisher of children, children's books in YA, to do a great job. And um, this is the collection of essays and art from famous children's and YA authors about the book that, um, you know, like the first book they ever fell in love with, a book that made them understand a new concept for the first time, um, the books that made them feel challenged in ways they didn't know they could be, whether that was, you know, intellectually or emotionally or about politics or the world in general. Um, so these are like the books that made these authors... Readers, the books that made them writers. So the book is thirty-one children's and YA authors telling their stories about the books that changed their life when they were young. Um, you'll recognize a lot of them. Simon French is in there. Shantan. Uh, it includes art from Chantan who has done that. Uh, the graphic, is it a graphic novel? I never. Or is it a picture book? I never know what to call it. The, the arrival. The arrival. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: think that's a picture book. <laughs> mm. Question mark.
0: Yeah. Uh, N- Marcus Zusak, who uh, wrote the uh, the Book Thief, which I'm sure most of you have probably read uh, Randa Abdel Fattah, so many Simon French um, so a lot of your favorite children's NYA YA book uh, book authors talking about the books that they love so books about books are like a, a subgenre of literature that I really really enjoy so I'm looking forward to this a lot that's the book that made me and that's coming out from Kindlewick Press so go check that out and thank you for sponsoring the show okay so I will just keep going so yes. we're looking for modern retellings of classics so the first one that I have for you is Great by Sarah Benincasa And this is an updated contemporary YA LGBTQ retelling of The Great Gatsby, (laughs) uh, which is, of course, by F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, So if you take all of the themes and ideas and locations and party tone and all that whole thing of the 1920s and transport it to, you know, like... 2010, I think, about... 2014, when this book came out. It's kind of actually the same. The characters are a little bit younger, but not much, actually, because if you reread The Great Gatsby, those characters are pretty young. Um, And they are, uh, you know, teenagers who are essentially left without any sort of supervision. So the Nick character in the updated version, her name is Naomi, and her mother is a socialite who has, like... They're, like, new money, though. She, um, I think her mom is, like, a cupcake-famous has a TV show kind of person. And so they have developed all this new money. They spend their summers in the East Hamptons. Naomi doesn't like going cause she kind of sticks out. She obviously doesn't come from that sort of lifestyle. So she doesn't really know what she's doing or how to navigate it. Um, and then this summer she finds herself really captivated by her next door neighbor named Jacinta, who's a teenager living by herself in like a giant house somehow. Um, they find out that she's actually, like, a fashion blogger. They don't know where she came from. Everybody in her, like, very carefully constructed world um, is, like, drawn to this woman. she Or this girl, rather. She throws all of these big elaborate parties for all the kids. Uh, and then come to find out Jacinta is there in order to get close to Naomi's friend Delilah. And if you are familiar with the plot of The Great Gatsby, then you kind of get what's going on there. So things about, like, the American dream, all those, pl- all those plot points and those themes and those things that... um Fitzgerald is examining in The Great Gatsby in, in the light of, like, the, you know, the Roaring Twenties, all of that is still, like, that's exactly what Sarah Benincasa is looking at in Great, except in, you know, the um, the overdone consumerism and commercialism of teen life in the 2010s. So that's Great by Sarah Benincasa.
1: So good. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, my, the retelling I picked for you is not a, it is modern in that it was written in modern times, but it's not a modern setting, but I really think you would like it based on the fact that you were looking for something light and fun and quick, uh, and so I am recommending The Wrath and the Dawn by Renee Adier, which is a YA reworking of the story of Shahrazad, um, the 1001 Nights, uh, which, you know, people are, like, sort of familiar with, because it's been, you know, sort of remade a couple times, but, um, you have not read it like this before. Uh so it's about a girl named Sharzad who, uh, like, sends herself off to the king who is murdering all of his wives. Like, that that part is basically the same um, because her best friend has been killed by him. Um, and she, of course, quickly discovers that things are not as they seem. Um, and this is the first in a series, so you don't find out exactly what's going on within the first book. So you're like, oh, dying for the second one, which I think is out now, right, the second one is out now yeah yeah
0: yeah, yeah. it came up last year so
1: yeah right it's been out um and so yeah it's like it's got all of the sort of you know the settings and the mythology uh, you know touches of mythology and it's just it's really sort of dreamy but like also very intense because you know this guy's killing people every night Um, because of the murder because of murder you know uh and so it's like it's very quick paced it definitely sucks you all the way in um and i don't know i just really i thought it was like a a really awesome reading experience so that is the wrath and the dawn by renee Adier.
0: The uh, my book club read The Wrath and the Dawn uh-huh. and loved it so much that we picked the sequel the, the week that it came out to be that book that month's read and oh, we dang. had never ever done that before like we would never <laughs> and picked and a sequel too I know and like nobody had ever been so enthusiastic about having to find out what happens next it was a really interesting like yeah it's book
1: club a cliffhanger reading. you're like It's <laughs> so is gonna, gonna happen? happen oh my
0: god <laughs> I should have like O'Neill's razored it and not <laughs> yeah. read it until both books came. for those of you who are unfamiliar our CEO Jeff uh, Jeff O'Neill has a rule. That he calls O'Neill's razor, where he does not read a series until it is all out. So that, which I feel like is wise. The farther I, mean, I, the older I, I get, the more I think that's I a cannot good idea. hang
1: with that rule. I'm not gonna lie; <laughs> that's just too much waiting.
0: All right, question two. This is from Catherine. Uh, Catherine says, My wife works for the DOD and is currently in Afghanistan. I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area and currently live in Augusta, Georgia. I'm incredibly homesick with her gone for so long, and I would love to have some books set in the San Francisco Bay Area or at least Northern California. I'm reading the October Day series by Shannon McGuire and have up next the biography of Jim Quillen, who served time on Alcatraz. I read mostly mysteries, fantasy, and nonfiction, but I'm open to anything. Okay, Catherine. Um, since you mentioned mysteries, I picked a collection of short stories called San Francisco Noir. It's from Akashic Books, um, and the editors are Pita Maravellis and David Henry Stary. I picked this because I've read a couple of the of different collections um, from Akashic. They do these noir uh, short story collections set like everywhere. Like there's one from Istanbul, there's one for Seattle, uh, there's one for Vegas and LA, um, and the last one that I read was I think. Paris, or so- it was somewhere in France. It might not have been Paris. Anyway, they're all, like, without exception, really, really great and very classic, but, like, a nice combinations of that classic noir mystery stuff and also people doing, like, their own takes or twists on it. Um, so, in San Francisco noir, you've got some pretty classic, like, si- San Francisco authors, along with um, some literary fiction authors from the area who are like, trying their hand at noir for the first time, which is interesting. Yeah. And every... Yeah. And every uh, story is in a a distinct San Francisco neighborhood. So it's like from the inner city all the way to the the suburbs that are outside of San Francisco. Uh, Every author and story is taking on a different area um, of San Francisco. So I think that that would be a nice pick for that. So uh, like example authors would be like Barry Gifford is in there. uh, Michelle T who wrote, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of that book she wrote. Oh, that's going to drive me crazy. Whatever, I'll think Ooh, about it Oh, yeah,
1: good one, though. Yeah,
0: uh, Jim wait? Nesbitt. <laughs> I know, like, when I'm on the spot, I just, bra- no words are mm. not there. It's, it's almost like I do words for a living. <laughs> 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 anyway, so that's San Francisco Noir uh, by, uh, well, it's by a bunch of people. The editors are Peter Maravellas and David Henry Sterry, but it's from Akashic Noir. You can go to Akashic's website and see all of their collections of noir. Um, and really, they're all great, so Godspeed. <laughs>
1: Hmm. I second that. Uh, okay, so my pick for you does not start in San Francisco, but it ends in San Francisco. It's All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie, Charlie Jane Anders. And I picked this for you because you mentioned Shauna McGuire, and you said you like fantasy. And this is a book that is both fantasy and science fiction, which delights me. Uh, it is about two people who start out, you start out with their childhood, um, Patricia and Lawrence, who are super awkward and, and like loners and troubled in different ways, um, and they meet in middle school, and they like, you know, become best friends like outsiders can, and, uh, <laughs> and then somebody tries to kill them, and they stop being friends because a bunch of crazy things happen, and they meet again when they're grown up in San Francisco. And like the background to this story is that, I don't think it's a spoiler to say, that Patricia is actually like a witch, like she's got magic powers, and then Lawrence is a tech genius and invents like a sentient program um, that's going to change the way the world works. And so there's like a big, you know, giant catastrophe coming, and they are, are they on the same side? Are they on different sides? Like, are they going to become friends again? Like, is there something else going to happen? There's so many big, like, intense questions uh, raised by this book in terms of their its plot, and she Charlie Jane manages to pull it all off, which I was not sure she was going to do as I was reading. I was like, oh, but is it going to come together? And then it does, and you're so it's like so delightful. I love the ending of this book. Um, so, And there's a bunch of great San Francisco moments in it, and it's also, it's like a near-future vision of San Francisco, so there's a lot of great, like, tech bro jokes in there, um, which, you know, if you're familiar with San Francisco, you know that they are not that hard to make, uh, but she does a great job of making them. So, uh, that is All the Birds in the Sky by Charlie Jane Anders. Okay, next question is from Samantha, who says, I'm looking for books from my boyfriend for his birthday. Uh, I, we both love horror, but I'm unfamiliar with the other genre he likes, excuse me, genres he likes, and they are westerns and noir. Westerns, we know of Blood Meridian, the Dark Tower series, and he has read True Grit. Uh, the westerns could also mix in steampunk, but it's not a requirement. For noir, he loves classic cop noirs, and I know nothing about them. (laughs) Um, Okay, Amanda, you go first. Okay, my first pick is The Gun. It's by uh,
0: Fuminori Nakamura, and it's translated by Alison Markin Powell. And this is a really classic style noir um, crime thriller, whatever, mystery, um, that's set in Tokyo, and the main character is a college student who I don't think, I read this like I read it when it came out, which I think was about two years ago, and I don't think you get his name. But anyway, he's a college student who, like, goes for a walk early one morning um, or late at night, no, it's late at night, along a riverbank in Tokyo, and he finds a dead body, and beside the body is a gun. And he decides, for reasons that he cannot explain to himself, to steal the gun. Or is it really stealing? Because he found it. And can you steal from a dead body? I don't know. Questions. Anyway, so he takes the gun, and he goes home, and he hides it. And uh, then you follow him as he... tries to like go on about his day while uh having the gun first of all and realizing that like oh wait i stumbled upon a dead body and maybe some very dangerous people put it there for a reason and maybe i'm going to be like what if someone saw me are they going to come kill me too i should probably keep this gun and then he realizes that it's loaded and then he starts to just slowly become more and more irrationally obsessed with it and as he's going throughout his life he like gets entangled with various women. He's dealing with, like, his feelings about his biological father who's, in a, who's like, dying in a hospital who he's never actually met. Um, all the while, he's spiraling into this really kind of, like, intense obsession with this handgun. Um, so the mystery is, of course, like, what's up with the dead body and what's going to happen to this kid who has found this weapon? Is he going to fire it? It's very, like, Chekhovian. Is it Chekhov who did that? You know, if you introduce a yeah, gun in the yeah. first act, you have mm-hmm. to fire it. Yeah, it's, it's basically just that question for, like, 300 pages. Um, but the thing that I really thought was super interesting about this is, you know, the gun laws in Japan are, are completely different from the ones that we're used to here in the U.S. So his, like, reaction to finding something so, like, foreign and powerful and, like, shiny and dangerous is probably, I mean, like, not necessarily a reaction I relate to. I feel like if... If it, if most Americans I know found a gun, they'd be like, you know, like, call the cops, whatever. But um, his reaction to it was really fascinating to me. So that's The Gun by Fuminori Nakamura.
1: Side note, I read his book The Last Winter, or Last Winter We Parted, and I'm not sure the narrator or the main character gets a name in that one either. Hmm. I wonder if that's, like, a thing. Now
0: it after just of be that books. I don't remember the, <laughs> the name, which happens constantly. It does so. happen,
1: but I like. <laughs> I also feel like I remember being at some point, like, I don't know that I've ever, that this guy has a name yet. Um, okay, anyway, sorry. Sorry. Uh, okay, so my pick for this one is kind of a Western noir. Hooray! Uh, it's The Sisters Brothers by Patrick DeWitt. This book is Banana Pants. It is about two brothers whose last name is Sisters, which is why it's called the Sisters Brothers. Um, Eli and Charlie, who are kind of like henchmen. Uh, They're just, you know, guns for hire. They are not particularly sad about it. Like, they do bad things to people for money, and that's fine with them. Totally okay with it. Uh, And they get hired to um, track down this, uh, like, inventor if I'm remembering correctly, I read this book when it first came out, which was 2011. So it's been a minute. But anyway, they got hired to track down somebody, and things go progressively wrong along the way. And the narrator is, uh, or like the one you're closest to is Eli, who is less bloodthirsty than his brother Charlie. Um, Like he's just kind of along for the ride a little bit. Like he doesn't have huge objections, but he's also not super into the violence. And so it's a very, that's what makes it so noir, I think, for me. Me is that the moral code is unclear uh, and everything is very gray. Like, the, it's hard to tell. Like, obviously, there's not a lot of good guys, but like the varying degrees of badness are kind of yeah. the point of this book. Um, and it's a great Western. Like, it's very atmospheric. You get all of those like Western tropes, but he's doing something, Patrick DeWitt is doing something a little different with them. Uh, so I really enjoyed this read a whole lot. And I think it speaks to, it sounds like it speaks to your boyfriend's interest. So that's The Sisters Brothers by Patrick do it Mm -hmm. co-signed okay um, question four is from Grace Grace
0: says I'm traveling to London in June and I'm looking to put together a reading list to get me through uh, while I wait I'm looking for books set in or about London I'd love to learn about the culture or history there but it doesn't need to be the focus of the book I generally enjoy fiction and contemporary literary fiction, but I enjoy good memoir if it uh, it hooks me. I like all types of fiction, but I really enjoy strong characters, and I don't need them to be likable. I tend not to lean towards historical fiction as much, but for this particular request, I'd be open to it. Okay. Um, I am with a classic of both, you know, the Western canon, and also, I think, of, like, British and London-centric literature, which is Mrs. Dalloway um, by Virginia Woolf. Um, I feel like I don't... Do I... First of all, I don't know if I need to explain the plot of Virginia Woolf, Mrs. Dalloway. And second of all, does it
1: have a plot? I Do mean, you I was just gonna say, I was like, she she buys flowers. That's the thing that she happens. does. Mrs.
0: Dalloway decided <laughs> to buy the flowers herself, and then there's like two chapters about that. Um, so Mrs. Dalloway, Clarissa Dalloway, is a high society like housewife living in London in post World War One, like immediately post World War One, um, and she is planning on throwing a party. And the book is just about that. Like, it's about a day in her life. You follow her um, as she's doing the planning, and then also her husband and her friend Septimus, who is a veteran of World War I, um, as, you know, the day progresses. And it's, in Virginia Woolf style, you know, it's very stream of consciousness. Um, It's not so much about the narrative or the movement of the plot or what the characters are doing as it is about the human experience and what they're thinking and feeling. And London is very much a part of... This uh, book, and so is World War One, which is, um, you know, very obviously has a huge impact on London culture and society and architecture, and like some of the way that the roads are built these days, and, and a lot of stuff that, like, I completely don't relate to because um, we've never really had that kind of like that sort of war experience in the US. Uh, so, that whole like concept of rebuilding a city that's been destroyed time and time again because of wars is like really fascinating and that like lost huge percentages of their male population uh to a war that like no one could really justify all of that is examined in mrs dalloway which is a t- it's like under 200 pages um she, virginia wolf is dealing with like ideas about ptsd that ha- that like didn't exist up until that point like that i mean obviously it existed but it wasn't like an actual diagnosis they they said that the, the people the men were like exhausted or you know um, they had like various uh, euphemisms for what they were experiencing and suffering so she's she's looking at all that stuff within the lens of like a lady making dinner plans which is you know part of her genius so that's mrs Dalloway by Virginia wolf
1: nice uh, I went a little sideways on this one because you said you liked all types of fiction and strong characters uh, so I'm recommending Kraken by China meville which is so good um, and it is a I guess I want to call it fantasy. Uh, it is a fantasy novel that is about, like, the the dark, magical underbelly of London, um, and so <laughs> it starts in uh, London's Natural History Museum, where this guy who is, like, a cephalopod scientist, Billy, um, is doing a tour, and the, the end of the tour is supposed to be their big specimen of uh, the giant squid. It's, like, very rare. They, they're the only ones around who have one. Like, super exciting. And they get to the room, and the squid is just gone. Like, it's just gone from the tank. Um, and so he is obviously very upset about this because this is his, like, prize specimen. And so he starts trying to figure out what's going on and gets sucked into this crazy, war of beliefs that it's going on in the in in the magical underbelly of London. And so he starts to meet all these crazy people with different um or these people with crazy talents, like that don't fit into his worldview. Uh and, you know, there's like weird little cults and all kinds of, you know, there's like an Egyptian statue uh hopping Person being who's also like a a strike organizer. Like it's really, it's really bonkers because that's what China Meevil does. Um, But you get a really amazing tour of London out of it. Like, I, I wish that I had been there because I would reread this book and then, like, go find the places where the weird things happen in the book um, because they're all, like, around for the most part. I mean, obviously I probably couldn't find, like, the underground cult bar, but, like, otherwise <laughs> you can find these places. Dang it. I know, right? So um, so I highly recommend it. It's a really fun, weird, smart read, and it will definitely give you a different kind of view of London. So that is Kraken by China Miebel. Uh, Okay, let's see. So our next question is from Eliza. Who says, I'm looking for book recommendations for my sister. I'd like to give her some books for her birthday, and she's been going through a difficult time with her two teenage sons recently. So I'd love to get her some books that will grab her from the first page and she can really sink into, which will provide an escape from reality, from real life for a few hours. She really enjoys contemporary and historical women's fiction. Some of her favorites have been The Nightingale, Anything by Leanne Moriarty, The Storyteller by Jodie Pico, The Light Between Oceans, and Every Last One by Anna Quinlan. I'm planning to get her The Mothers by Brit Bennett, but would love any other suggestions you might have. Okay, Amanda, go.
0: Uh, the Mother's is amazing, so mm-hmm. go with your gut. <laughs>
1: so other than that,
0: uh, I picked The Nest by Cynthia Dupree Sweeney. And I picked this one because it has uh, really obnoxious adult children who make good. So if she's having trouble with her teenage kids, like, I feel like this might give her a little hope. Also combined with, like, it's just a juicy, gossipy kind of page-turner of contemporary women's fiction, whatever that means. So, books written by women? I don't know. Um, So it's about the Plum family. Four uh, siblings. They're all grown, have families, are out there, like, doing their own life. Um, And the oldest brother, Leo, who is a complete worthless piece of garbage, uh, gets out of rehab, um, and they the other siblings are, like, gathering to confront him about their life. Because what he did was he got really drunk behind, you know, and started driving around with a 19-year-old waitress, uh, even though he's married, and then he gets into a car accident, and the accident in her, like, decision to or to not sue or whatever uh, is endangering the family's trust fund. So their father um, set up this trust fund to be released to them when they reached, like, middle age, and it was intended to be, like, a, a nice bump Uh, For them, when they got there, like, he wasn't banking on it being, like, supporting them or saving them or anything. It was just supposed to be, like, my kids are in their 40s. They probably have their own children. They could use a little bit of help right now, probably. Sort of a thing. Instead, what they've been doing is, like, watching the stock market do really well and watching the nest get really big. And then they've all made horrible life choices in, like, a great expectations kind of way, banking on the nest being there but because their older brother is garbage now they don't have that so you're following all of the siblings as they have made their horrible choices and are now for basically the first time ever in their grown up lives having to face the consequences of that and um, how they handle Having to like stare down the lives that they've the lives that they've made for themselves um, really reveals a lot about their character. And it's a really fascinating kind of character study. Uh, and they make such bad choices that like you're probably gonna feel really good about yourself. One of those sort of things. So that's the Nest <laughs> by Cynthia <laughs> dupree sweeney I really loved it. Also, it's very pretty. Like it's just a pretty yeah. book that I think is really nice to give as a gift, because it looks it looks nice.
1: So it's fake rich people problems. Fake, they think they're rich. Yeah. Alas. <laughs> Alas, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> nice. Um, I picked a book that was my it was either my last read of 2016 or my first read of 2017. I really loved it. It's called Bone and Bread by Salima Nawaz. Um, it's bread like the thing that you eat, uh, and it is about two sisters named Bina and Sadana who have a lot of tragic stuff in their past. Um, you the, so the book jumps back and forth in time. So you get Bina um, is kind of the main character. She's a grown up. She's a single mom, um, and Sadana has just died. Uh, and it's, like, really super sad. They're in their 30s. Um, but her sister had been struggling with eating disorders, so she's kind of trying to figure out, like, is that what had happened? Like, did her body finally give up? Or was she better and something else happened? And all of these things. Um, so she's having trouble letting go. And then you find out, like, you know, their parents died when they were very young. And then they got, you know, raised by their uncle, who was kind of disconnected. Um, and then you find out, like, how Bina came to be a single mom. And how Sadana was always, like, you know, the flamboyant one who had all of the friends and all of the, you know, the beauty and the grace and the... the you know partying lifestyle and but it was also like really smart and you know she just seemed to have all the things um except for that of course she also had this eating disorder and was troubled in other ways um and it's like it reminds me a bit when you mentioned you know uh Jodi Pico in particular like it's that really tight family stuff that comes up in this book which you know is both an escape and because it's not your problems but also speaks a little bit to family problems if you have them um I mean who doesn't have family problems let's be real so (laughs) (laughs) uh, And I thought also because there is like a mom-son relationship, and the son is a pretty good kid, but there's a whole separate storyline about him wanting to know who his father is and why Bino doesn't want to tell him and the problems that that produces. So there's a lot going on in this book, but it's like a really beautiful sister story and also a really lovely story about motherhood. Um, And yeah, I I mean, it's it's a little bit dark, but it's also got that uh, hopefulness that moves you through. So that is Bone and Bread by Salima Nawaz. Okay, question six. This is from Leah. She says,
0: I love reading both high fantasy and the classics. In the past, I've kept them strictly separate. But last year, I found that I really enjoyed reading genre transcending books by writers like David Mitchell, Haruki Murakami, and maybe even Neil Gaiman. Another favorite was *The Night Circus*, which also, which also isn't clearly definable by genre, although it does have magic in it. Can you recommend any similar books that have that fantasy feel, but without any dragons, elves, or wizards running around, or even Jon Snow for that matter? Well, Jon Snow is the worst, so <laughs> we will try to avoid. He Jon Snow. knows nothing.
1: He just knows
0: he knows nothing, Jon Snow. Okay, so my pick for you was *Library at Mount Char* by Scott Hawkins, which I've talked about. The show before, but I really when I read this, it feels like if David Mitchell and Quentin Tarantino had a horrible violet gory book, baby, it would be the Library of Mount Shop. Super
1: accurate. I
0: uh, it, yes, like that is a very good description. It's disgusting and awesome, and just the weirdest thing I've ever read, maybe. So um, when you when you open the book, like it starts from the print you're with your like you're reading from the point of view of a girl named Carolyn. She's a young adult, she seems kind of normal. Like, she's talking about how much she likes guacamole and how her cell phone is broken and stuff like that. But then almost immediately realized realize that this girl has no idea how to operate in normal society. And for some reason, she's like... Stalking her house where she grew up in in this like very suburban neighborhood. She's talking about her father and her siblings in ways that make no sense. And then you realize that like maybe her father is some sort of demigod, and maybe her and all of her siblings have weird powers, and maybe everyone is evil, and you don't you don't really know. So what's happening is that their father, this man that they call father, has disappeared, and her and her siblings who turns out they're not her actual siblings, they're like her adopted siblings, um, have to find out what has happened to him. Um, so the library that's referenced is like his secret library that's in their suburban house that isn't actually a suburban house, but is a cover for like a, a, a magical, a darkly magical underworld thing where they live and grow up. Um, so they've all studied the books in his library that he assigned them, and he's given each of the kids like a separate portion of his abilities to master so that he's like made these tiny versions of himself but each kid only has one of his talents so like carolyn's thing is languages she can speak basically every known language including some animal languages which is a little strange um and then the kind of villain of the book is one of her siblings whose name i can't remember but his talent is war so most of the violence in the book comes from him and the father um he's I mean, like, just trigger warnings all over the place. Like, if you have a, a weak stomach, this is probably not the one for you. But David Mitchell's got a lot of weird stuff, too. So, I don't know. I really liked it. And I'm usually very... Especially when bad stuff happening to kids, I usually cannot read. But this is so fantastical and, and very obviously not based in reality that it didn't bother me so much. Um, I mean, it bothered me, but I was able to get through it. Because it's so page-turnery. And the title chapters are so funny. Anyway, I'm, like, getting on a rant. So, it's The Library at Mount Char. By Scott Hawkins. Super, super, super violent Quentin Tarantino-style book. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I am recommending an author to you uh, whose name is Sophia Samatar, and I love her book so much. Um, and the specifically the two I'm recommending are – they go together um, – it's *A Stranger in a and *Winged Histories*, which is the second one. Um, and when you pick up in *A Stranger in a it's it's a very small plot that's clearly part of a much bigger world. So it's about a boy, well, who's now a young man who's grown up on this like kind of isolated island, um, and he has to take over the spice business for his father. So he goes to the big city, you know, in the main you know, mainland of his world. Um, and has this experience that ends up along the way with him being haunted by the ghost of this young woman who, uh, was not who like her unfinished business is that she wants somebody to tell her story. Um, and in the meantime, his being haunted, and like, he is not covering well, like he's behaving erratically and people are noticing. And it just so happens to align with this political moment where the previous sort of mainstream religion is being forced underground by a new political uh, ruler and by a new set of um, religious doctrine. And so there's this sort of war going on that the main character of A Stranger in laundry gets sucked into. Um, but really, he just he's just like trying to get unhaunted. Like That is what his goal is. Um, and so through him you see sort of some of these bigger things that are going on and some of the world that he's in and then Winged Histories picks up with the actual events of the political and religious battle um, and you get the view of four different women who are differently impacted one of them's is a soldier and one of them is part of this migratory tribe and then another one is the daughter of a high priest and like you just get all of these different viewpoints of the world and it's like there is a there's definitely a touch of magic to it but it's much more like the, you know, sort of Murakami or Mitchell. Like, it's a little bit surreal and, like, it's not, you know, super codified magic. Like, there, it's not Harry Potter magic. It's, like, more, you know... What's the word I want? Atmospheric. Um, And so they're just amazing books. I love. And they also have that feel language wise of like your um, like Edith Wharton or um, Bram Stoker or Mary Shelley. Like it's a very kind of a little bit formal kind of storytelling, which I loved. So that is uh, the author is Sophia Samatar. The first book is A Stranger in Olandria, And the second is Winged Histories. And I love them. Oh, and she's got, wait, but I also have to say she's got a short story collection coming out in April. That's super, you're all super excited about it. Just FYI. Okay. Thank you for informing me. I'm just saying. Okay. Wait. Oh, it's my turn again. Uh, Okay. So the next question is from Jackie, who says, I just finished reading Underground Airlines by Ben Winter, and I was really intrigued by the concept of alternate histories, which I haven't read before. Can you recommend more books on any subject matter that examine an alternate history? All right. Go ahead.
0: Okay, so I picked Everfair for this. It's by Nisi Schall, and I I love this. It's, like, so many genres. It's alternate history steampunk set in the Belgian Congo. And this is about a period of time that I was very unfamiliar with. So um, the Belgian king during the Victorian era was King Leopold II, and he colonized um, the Congo for rubber and treated the people who lived there so terribly and, like, I don't, I don't even know the word, like, performed? That's not right. Um, some of the worst human rights abuses, like, in recorded history, pretty much ever. So the idea behind this book is that the people who lived there before King Leopold invaded discover steam technology a little bit earlier than they otherwise might have, and what would have happened if that had been the case, and they had been able to use that steam technology to fight back and to make their own, like, um, Everfair is the name of a... Um, like, utopia that they set aside for the populations of people who were escaping King Leopold's rule. So the book moves very quickly through time. Like, you start, um, I I think, right about the Victorian era, and then you jump years or decades with every chapter. And the chapters are very short, and you're going back and forth between um, the points of view of several different characters. So it's just such an imaginative and interesting uh, re-examination of a period of history that I didn't know much about, but I, like, once I started, I was, like, halfway through the novel and was like, hold on, I need to know more about this, so I went back and did a whole bunch of, like, personal historical research into the Belgian Congo, which is a thing I'd never necessarily been interested in before, like, I just never heard about it in school, I don't know, it was a very blind gap in my, in my knowledge of world history, and the book is so well written and fast-paced, and you'll, like, read it in a sitting. so that's Everfair by Nisi Shaw.
1: Yeah, that was going to be my pick, but Amanda got to it first. No, no, it's fine, it's fine. Um, So (laughs) as I was thinking over this question, I realized that, like, every – alternate history I've read is basically like what would have happened if the Axis had won World War Two, yeah. which is like, it's fine. That's that's a thing. But I was like, I would, I wanted to give you something else. And so I'm giving you a book from my TBR. Uh, it's The Yiddish Policeman's Union by Michael Shabin, who is a great writer. I read a lot of his books. Um, Cavalier and Clay is a, is a freaking classic. Uh, and, so, and this one I, has been on my TBR stack for a while. One of these days, I'm going to get to it. Um, But I thought you might dig it. So it is about... it's a little bit related to World War II in that um, in, what happens is, okay, I'm going to do this. Okay, in Alaska, a small, like, safe haven is set up um, for Jewish refugees uh, during the 1940s because of the Holocaust. Um, And then in this world, uh, Israel doesn't make it as a state. So instead of, like, having Israel, you have this Jewish community in Alaska. Um, And they've kind of created their own world um, in this like snowy frontier. And it's been there for six, 60 years, um, and this is, like, the deadline, sort of, for their area to revert to Alaskan control, um, and so now they have to figure out, like, what's going to happen next, and the book follows a detective named Meyer Landsman who is trying to solve a murder. Like, he like he, he, knows that this, like, big political thing is happening, but, like, really his job is to solve a murder, and that's what he's trying to do, um, and he can't catch any breaks, and, like, so it's a little bit, like, of a noir mystery with this sort of alternate history timeline that takes us into the near pre- well the near past, like early aughts. So there's a lot going on. Um, Michael Shabin is capable of pulling off a lot as we saw in Cavalier and Clay. So yeah, one of these days I'm gonna get to it and I thought you might want to get to it sooner rather than later. So that is the Yiddish Policeman's Union by Michael Shabin. You're so right that like so many of these alternative histories are about World War II. It's either World War II or Civil War. I did a bunch of research and like basically that's what you get. You get World War II or the like the South wins the Civil War. Like that is what you get. I know. right? I don't want to read that either. But like yeah, I feel like Um, we might be living in that right now. (laughs) I don't want to think about it. But yeah, it's just really like it's hard to find alternate histories that are not about the well. I mean, obviously they're big historical events, but yeah, yeah. So yeah. All right. That's, that's my
0: story about that. Okay, so question eight. Last question. This is from Tracy. Um, she says, I have a major movie hangover and am, ne- and am in need of a book club book. I've recently been watching sappy magical realism movies, things like La La Land and Age of Adeline. I love that these movies are grounded in the real world with a little flair of magic. I think what's drawn me most to these two movies in particular is the amazing job they do of evoking strong emotions. If you could point me in the direction of books that have the same magical emotional feel, that would be much appreciated. Okay, so I went, thinking about books that are, like, La La Land (laughs) sent me down this, like, very interesting mental rabbit hole. Uh, So I went with, like, Water for Chocolate by Laura Esquivel, um, which is translated, I forgot to write it down, by uh, Thomas Christensen and Carol Christensen. Um, Because it's very based in real world, in, in like, the day-to-day life of a person. Um, A young woman named Tita, who lives uh, with her family. Like an all-female family, I think her father is dead in Mexico, and she's not allowed to get married uh, because of some old-fashioned Mexican traditions. Where she has to look after her mother until her mother dies. Uh, like as the youngest daughter, that is her fate. But she has fallen in love with like a neighbor boy named Pedro. Uh, and bonus, slight you know a little dish of magic here tita has the like odd magical ability of cooking her feelings into food and she's also in charge of cooking for the family so she can she like cooks her love for pedro into a meal that he eats and he like falls in love with her um and but her mother still won't let her get married so in like this bout of desperation he marries her older sister so that he can like stay close to tita um and then like he has a child with his sister and they like their lives just go on like that for all of these years bad luck and all these tragedies until they can or cannot I'm not going to spoil it for you um be together at the end maybe maybe not and all along the way I mean this book is just about like Tita's daily life and her cooking her feelings into food so you know of course she develops this like really hard to deal with bitterness against her sister which she cooks into her food and like the things that that ends up making happen are are really interesting and strange um but you'll you'll feel a lot of feelings like her man it's just such a tragedy it's so sad and like really bittersweet um and like just kind of lovely i don't know it it actually does remind me a lot of la la land like those strange moments where they're like dancing and floating for reasons that make no sense in the plot reminded me a lot of like and then she cooked her tears into the soup you're like what Okay, sure. I'm going with it. This is cool. Like, all right, magic, yeah. All right, so that's Like Water for Chocolate by Laura Esquivel.
1: Yeah, I am going with 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas by marie helene Bertino for this one because I think it's exactly what you are looking for. Uh, It is the story of a nine-year-old named Madeline who is – her mother has died, and her father is super checked out, and she's nine and just, like, trying to, you know – be a nine-year-old, but also be responsible for herself a little bit because her dad is not responsible for them, and she is having trouble at school, and she just kind of is wandering around her neighborhood, um, and she sort of hatches this plan that if she can sing at this jazz club, uh, she like everything will suddenly magically be great. Um, and her teacher, uh, Serena, is the other main character who's just moved back to Philadelphia after getting divorced and is like trying to figure out like how to be a person in the world again Um, and so uh the the threads of their story kind of weave around this neighborhood and all convene on this christmas day um and like people do randomly float like there is random floating um what is with that random floating there's jazz uh there's um and there's like yeah this touch of sort of magic to it where um it just sort of uh raises up, you know, the mundane, very, you know, sad but like super normal problems that the characters are going through. So, it's just a beautiful. Yeah, it's a lovely book. Uh, and 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 I think that it will suit what you were looking for. I felt a lot of feelings when I read this book, not going to lie. Uh, so that's 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas by Marie-Hélène Bertino. There's a scene and I listened to it on
0: audio and there's a scene in that book where the little girl is singing at her church because she goes to like a catholic school mm-hmm. and she's singing uh and she like says some uh, that i can't that i can't say because it's you know, it's got a lot of cursing in it <laughs> but this like the narrator doing this 9 year old's voice like <laughs> cursing at god in front of her church and all of her classmates was so funny oh, i almost wow. got into a car accident like i was oh, laughing no. so hard i almost rear ended the car in front of me so word to the wise
1: yeah no to you self have been warned.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that is our show jazz hands (laughs) so thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show you can find us on social media I'm at I'm Amanda Nelson Jen is at Jen IRL Jen with two N's Um, and we will talk oh leave us a review I always forget to say that leave us a review rate us on iTunes it makes the show easier to find when people are searching for it on iTunes for some reason because Apple's algorithm is weird and we will talk to y'all next week